Please open a Bible to Exodus chapter 9, and we're going to begin at verse 13. We're continuing our uh, look at the ten plagues as we're working through the book of Exodus. It's on page 60 in the Church Bible. Uh, To warn you, it's going to be a fairly long section. These descriptions of the plagues are a bit longer than the ones we've had before. We're going to read from 9.13 through the end of chapter 10. Give your attention now to the reading of God's Word. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on, your, on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time I will cause very heavy hail Uh, Sorry, this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt." Then Moses stretched out his staff towards heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down upon the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with God, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer." Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hand to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out from the city of Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord. And the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. 
But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians, and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country, and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land. And they shall eat what is left to you after the hail, and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field. And they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not understand that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God, but which ones are to go? Moses said, We will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and our daughters and with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast of the Lord. But he said to them, The Lord be with you if ever I let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go the men among you and serve the Lord, for that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, so they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. And the locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt, such a dense swarm of locusts as has never been before, nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land, so that the land was darkened, and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field, through all the land of Egypt." Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord. And the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt. But the Lord hardened the Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was a pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. 
they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take of them to serve the Lord our God, and we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day that you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. This is God's word. It's a longish reading, and I assure you I have been up since six this morning trying to cut my sermon down to be shortish, um, but I didn't fully succeed. But there's three lessons I want you to see from these plagues. The first is that the Lord is incomparable. The second is that the Lord shows mercy. And the third is that the Lord rules hearts. First, the Lord is incomparable. As we've been looking at the ten plagues, we've seen it's really three cycles of three plagues each that each make a slightly different point, and they all warn about this climactic final plague, the death of the firstborn sons. Okay, the first cycle was making this point. By this you will know that I am the Lord. Then the second set of three plagues made this point. You may know that I, the Lord, am in the midst of the land. And now the third cycle makes a third point. Again, it begins with Moses rising early in the morning, going out to Pharaoh, again saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Hebrews, Let my people go, send them out, that they may serve me. For this time I will send my plagues on you yourself, or literally against your heart, and on your servants and your people, that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Okay, that's the third point that the plagues are making, the third big point. I am the Lord, I'm in the land, and there is none like me. That is to say, more simply, the Lord is incomparable. The Lord is incomparable. Okay, after the first two cycles of plagues, Pharaoh may be willing to grant that there is such a being as the Lord, and that he is indeed a God, and he is indeed active in Egypt. But the question is now, where does this God called Lord fit in the rankings of gods? Uh, it's like, you know, in NCAA Division I sports, there's all these polls that then get aggregated together to determine who the top 25 teams are and where those teams are on the rankings. And it's a bit like that. Pharaoh's saying, you know, we've got these 1,500 gods. Okay, there's this guy called Lord or God called Lord. Where does he fit on that list? Where does he stand? But the point of this third cycle of plagues is that the Lord isn't even on the same scale. It's like comparing D1 to pick up basketball at the park, okay? It's not even playing the same game. The Egyptian gods aren't even in the same league as the Lord. It's apples and oranges. In principle, they cannot be compared. And we make the same mistake when we imagine God being like a slightly more powerful creature. He's more or less like us, just a little bit stronger. 
But this third cycle shows that the Lord is incomparable by describing unprecedented disasters with comparative language. This is new in this third cycle. Uh, first, you might have noticed uh, Pharaoh's warned about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail, such as has never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Okay? It's worse than anything that's ever been seen before. And we're told that Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven. The Lord sent thunder and hail and fire or lightning down to the earth. The Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail. Very heavy hail, such as had never been in the land, in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. Okay, Egypt had had hail before, but never hail and thunder and lightning like this. Uh, thankfully, in the Northwest, our hail is not too severe, but in many parts of the country and the world, golf ball-sized hail causes huge amounts of damage every year. And here we hear in Exodus that the hail destroyed everything in the crops, uh, the early crops, the flax and the barley, the late-season crops, the wheat and the spelt hadn't come up yet. And then again in chapter 10, Moses threatens, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, a swarm of locusts will fill the land as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers had seen from the day they came upon the earth to this day. And the locusts came up over all the land of Egypt. They settled on the whole country of Egypt, such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been seen before or will ever be seen again. Uh, in 2020, there was a swarm of hundreds of billions of locusts that swept across South Asia and East Africa, kind of in the same general zone. Well, that's the kind of picture here, except even more, hundreds and hundreds of billions of locusts all settling in the land of Egypt, and everything that was left that the hail didn't destroy, the locusts eat up. But notice the hail and the locusts, it both says, Nothing like this has been seen in Egypt before, going all the way back to the beginning. Egypt is literally being shaken to its foundations. And these signs demonstrate the Lord's incomparable power. His power is beyond that of Egypt's gods. Uh, Moses was told to stretch out his hand toward the heavens to summon the hail, to stretch out his hand over the earth to summon the locusts, and then again towards the heavens to bring about the darkness. And the point there is the heavens and the earth, all of creation is under the Lord's authority. What did the first plague strike? The Nile, which was central to Egyptian life and was even worshiped, but the Lord turns it to blood. And then the ninth plague, you may know that Ra, the sun god, is the highest god in the Egyptian pantheon, and yet the Lord blocks out his sun for three days and three nights. God's demonstrating that his power is incomparably beyond that of the Egyptian gods. And then the last god to be struck is Pharaoh. He claims to be God on earth with total, absolute control over everything. But this darkness is a final warning that even he and his line will be struck if he does not turn away. When Moses and uh, Pharaoh Hagel before the plague of the locusts, Pharaoh tries to exert his authority in the Israelite families. Uh, they say, well, who's going to go with you? They say, well, we're all going to go. We're going to celebrate a feast. And he says, well, the men can go, but the children and women need to stay here. And Moses says, no, there are limits to your authority. 
Okay, the state can't stick its hand into the family and say what you're going to worship and who the kids are going to follow in terms of religion. The point that the Lord is making here is that he is incomparably powerful beyond that of the gods of Egypt and the Pharaoh of Egypt. Why does the Lord say he brings all these signs or plagues on Egypt? So that he will be known throughout the earth. Pharaoh has been exalting himself, lifting himself up, making a name for himself, the all-powerful king, God in Egypt. But now God puts him in his place. He says in 9.15, I could have already wiped you out by this point. But for this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Moses tells Pharaoh, the only reason you got raised up as high as you did is so that God can show his power, so that his name will be proclaimed through all the earth. As one scholar puts it, a man pretends to be God, uh, more than a man and refuses to acknowledge that the Lord is God, so the Lord cuts him down to size. And again, at the beginning of chapter 10, in verse 2, God tells Moses that God is going to continue, continue battling Pharaoh so that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I have dealt harshly, although that term dealt harshly, it can mean um, uh, outwitted or foiled or played tricks on the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them so that you may know that I am the Lord. Okay, this extended battle shows to future generations the Lord's incomparable greatness how he outwitted the Egyptians and even the Pharaoh, the greatest king in the ancient world. So why does God raise up Pharaoh? So that God's name and God's power can be declared throughout all the earth, geographically spread over, and to the coming generations, generation to generation. Throughout all space and time, God's name will be proclaimed. And it's important, just in passing, to tell our children and grandchildren of the wonderful works of the Lord who is incomparable. The second lesson in this cycle of plagues is that the Lord shows mercy. The Lord shows mercy. He shows mercy by listening to Moses' prayers. Uh, you might have noticed every single time that Pharaoh asks Moses to pray for him, Moses immediately agrees without conditions or argument. And every time that Moses intercedes for Pharaoh, uh, the Lord answers and shows mercy and relents. The cycle keeps going on. Four times, Pharaoh asks Moses to plead for him. Moses immediately does so. The Lord relents and shows mercy. But then it breaks down at the very end of our passage this morning. What happens after the plague of darkness? Pharaoh doesn't ask Moses to intercede, but rather threatens him. And he says, after this conversation, if I see you again, I'm going to put you to death. Okay, the Lord has been showing mercy by listening to Moses' prayers. But now, without Moses' intercession, how will the Lord show mercy to the Pharaoh? Pharaoh has sealed his own fate and that of the land of Egypt with him. He's a king who's exalting himself, and it's going to destroy his people. The Lord also shows mercy by his warnings. Uh, we saw last week in that second cycle of plagues that the Lord makes a distinction between the people of Israel and the people of Egypt. He says, I'm going to put a division between my people and your people. 
And so there's this fundamental antithesis between those who belong to the Lord and those who belong to Pharaoh and are opposed to the Lord. And we see that same dynamic continue. It says, only in the land of Goshen there wasn't any hail. Wherever the people of Israel lived, there was light. But now there's a new element added. In 918, for the first time, the Lord shows mercy by warning people how they can mitigate the effects of the hail. He says, go now, you've got 24 hours, get all of your servants, all of your livestock, as much as you can harvest, in from the field. It's a warning and a test. Some of the servants listen and save their slaves and livestock. Others ignore God's warning and it leads to death and destruction. Okay, we're starting to see now a division within Egypt itself based on how people respond to God's word. Do they heed God's word and save their livestock and their servants, or do they ignore God's word and go to destruction? Again, in, in 10 verse 7, we see this division. Some of Pharaoh's servants plead with him. How long will Moses be a snare to us? Let them go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? They're pleading with him. They're saying, give up. Okay, so in this third cycle of plagues, we see now there is not only a division between Israel and Egypt, but between Egyptians themselves based on who listens to God's word and who rejects God's word. And it points ahead to what we're going to read uh, next week, I believe, if I can remember the schedule. Uh, uh, in 1228, when they leave, or 1238 rather, when they leave Egypt, a mixed multitude goes up with them. Okay, a variety of Egyptians and others decide that they'd rather align themselves with Israel and Israel's God than Egypt and Egypt's Pharaoh. Okay, so God is showing mercy by warning, and these warnings make a division so that some people join God's people. And even the signs themselves are a merciful warning. The Lord is showing no one can contest with him. His power is incomparable. Give up now while you have a chance. And especially the locust, it's sort of a, in itself a sign. Moses goes out, he prays to Pharaoh. The east wind that brought the locust is reversed. The west wind blows the locusts into the sea. And we're told not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt. It's a sort of foreshadow warning because in a couple chapters, when Israel is trapped against the waters, the east wind blows all night and it separates the waters. And then Pharaoh and his armies charge in and the waters come back, and we read the exact same phrase, of Egypt's armies, not a single one was left alive. Not, no one remained. So the Lord shows mercy by warning, but why do only some of the Egyptians heed the warning? It's fundamentally a heart issue. In 920 it says, whoever feared the word of the Lord listened and brought their stuff in so it wasn't destroyed. They rightly respond to the word of the Lord with appropriate fear and awe and reverence. They take the Lord's word seriously. But it says, on the other hand, whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord, uh, literally whoever did not take the word of the Lord to heart, ignored what he said, left his slaves and livestock in the field, and they were killed. You might remember that little phrase in Luke 2 that Mary is said to treasure up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She's a model of responding rightly to God's word. Here these Egyptians provide a counterexample. They do not take God's word to heart, and so they can't be bothered to pay attention. 
Similarly, the Lord shows mercy to Pharaoh, relenting every time Moses intercedes. But in 9.17, Moses warns Pharaoh, you're still exalting yourself. You're still lifting yourself up. And at first glance, it looks like the Pharaoh is responding to the Lord's mercy with repentance. Uh, in, 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 after the hail, for the first time, he admits being wrong. And the Lord says, I'll answer your prayer to show that the land belongs to me. And yet Moses says, you do not yet fear the Lord. Okay, it's a half-hearted repentance. Again, in 10.3, Pharaoh's warned that he's refusing to humble himself. And again, he says he's wrong, and yet he does not cry out to the Lord. Okay, he's got half the equation right. He admits to being wrong, but true, full repentance involves acknowledging what's wrong and turning towards what's right. And the Pharaoh only gets half that. He keeps saying, yeah, I'm wrong, two times, but he never turns towards the Lord, towards what's right. He never submits to the Lord positively. This then leads to a third lesson. The Lord rules hearts. The Lord rules hearts. We've already noticed in this series, uh, if you've been here, the language about the Pharaoh's heart being hardened several times. And it's time to ask, what should we make of all this? Before and after the plague narratives, a bit like the dust jacket on a book, uh, we read these summaries. In 421, it's that God tells Moses, when you go back to Egypt, do all the miracles I've put in your power, but I will harden or strengthen Pharaoh's heart so that he will not let the people go. And then at the end in 1110, we read, Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened or strengthened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his hand. Okay, so on either side, it's saying, what's this story about? It's about the Lord hardening Pharaoh's heart. But then when we open the book and we see the narratives of the plagues, the picture's a bit more complicated. Remember, the heart is the center of a person, the seat of thinking and will. It's kind of how we decide what we're going to do. These stories use three different terms to refer to the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. First, one time at 7 verse 3 is this word that means make dense or harden, literally stiffen. But the most common word used means to strengthen or encourage Pharaoh's heart. What's the basic idea is that he's not despairing. Even though his plans are being foiled, he's being strengthened. His heart is strong. And then the third term used, uh, is, it, it, it's ambiguous. It's, uh, it oftentimes means make weighty, or it always means make weighty. And in some contexts, that can mean to give honor to something. But when it refers to the ears or the eyes or the heart, making weighty means making it dull, making it unreceptive. And then we see not only are there three terms, but there's three different phrases used in these stories. Sometimes there's a simple statement of fact, the Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Other times we're told that the Pharaoh himself strengthened or dulled his heart. But then ten times we're told that the Lord strengthened or dulled Pharaoh's heart. It's a bit like, uh, uh, I'm not a big poker player, so sorry if I get the details wrong, but it's a bit like Pharaoh and the Lord are playing poker, and every time the Pharaoh runs out of chips, the Lord gives him more chips so he can keep playing, so that the Lord can show that he is the better player, that he can outwit Pharaoh. He keeps strengthening the Pharaoh so that he can do what he wants. Proverbs 21.2 says, the, heart, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it 
wherever he will. Or uh, the 16th century reformer Thomas Cramer put a prayer like this in the Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and everlasting God, we are taught by thy holy word that the hearts of kings are in thy rule and governance, and that thou doest dispose and turn them as it seems best to thy godly wisdom. And so we humbly beseech thee so to dispose and govern the heart of Edward VI, thy servant. Okay, Cranmer recognizes that the heart of the king is in God's hands. Now, if you track across these ten plagues, you will notice that early on, it primarily says that the Pharaoh hardens his own heart. And then towards the end, there's more language about the Lord strengthening Pharaoh's heart. And it's pointing us to this underlying truth that at some point, our choices quit being choices and they become habits, and then our habits become our character. Okay, at some point, you quit consciously choosing to drink more than you ought to, and it becomes a habit. And then at some point, that habit turns you into a person that we would call a drunkard. It's a character trait. And yet that line that you cross, it's never apparent exactly where it is, or else no one would ever cross it. And yet there's a warning here not to dally around. But all three phrases, the narrator saying Pharaoh's heart was hardened, that Pharaoh hardened his own heart, and that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, they all three come together right at the end of chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10. Okay, verse 9:35. so the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. Oh, sorry, 34. Pharaoh saw the rain and hail, thunder had ceased, the sign that he was promised, and he sinned yet again. It's his fault. He did it. He's guilty for it. He sinned yet again and hardened his heart. Okay, Pharaoh's the one doing it. Verse 35, the narrator says, so Pharaoh's heart was hardened. But then in 10.1, the Lord says to Moses, go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart. Okay, so which is it? Well, it's all three. It's telling the story at different levels. Uh, in the plague of the locusts, as we just noticed a minute ago, it says that the east wind brought the locusts into the land, the west wind took the locusts out of the land, and yet also the Lord says, I'm going to send locusts, and I will take the locusts away. Which is it, the wind or God that causes the locusts? Well, it's both at different levels. And so in the same way, in one sense, the Pharaoh is hardening his own heart, and in another sense, the Lord hardens the Pharaoh's heart. This goes back to that first point, that the Lord is incomparable. Okay? If he's in principle comparable to other gods and creatures, then it's a bit like you know, the top-ranked team in Division I bullying the lower-ranked teams. But that's not what's happening here. The Lord is incomparable. He's beyond, he's not a creature. And so he rules our hearts, and yet it does not violate our freedom or responsibility. The Pharaoh sinned, he's guilty for it. Nevertheless, the Lord rules hearts. Pharaoh's heart and rebellion are under the Lord's authority and power. And so the Lord keeps strengthening Pharaoh so that he remains Pharaoh to the bitter end. Why? Well, two reasons at least. First, it makes justice possible. Remember how this story started? with Pharaoh killing the Israelites' children, throwing them in the river. Now, if Pharaoh just gave up after the river turned to blood, that's hardly a just consequence for the abomination of killing these children. No, Egypt has killed Israel's sons. Justice is served when Egypt's own sons are killed. Second, 
It not only makes justice possible, but it makes revelation possible. This contest with Pharaoh shows that the Lord is incomparably powerful, that he is merciful, that he is just, and that he is the redeemer who frees his people from oppression. Now, as we end, when we hear about Pharaoh's heart being hardened, the concern is it sounds like God is forcing Pharaoh to do something that he doesn't want to. But that's not the case. The Lord is strengthening the Pharaoh's heart so he can do what he does want to. And that actually shows us a more troubling truth about ourselves. We like to think we just need a little help from God. I've got it covered 75% of the way. I just need God's supplemental 25%, and then I can make it. Then things will go smooth. But Exodus says that our problem is that we are each a little Pharaoh in our own realm. We each lift up our hearts in pride and arrogance. And the truth is, we don't need a little extra help. We need totally new hearts. We don't need our hearts to be strengthened. That would just lead us to further rebellion. We need our hearts to be broken. As Ezekiel puts it, we need hearts of stone to be taken out and hearts of flesh to be put in. How does that happen? Well, God rules hearts. The Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 10, puts it like this. God is pleased in his appointed and accepted time effectually to call by his word and spirit out of that state of sin and death in which they are by nature to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ, enlightening minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God, taking away hearts of stone and giving a heart of flesh, renewing wills, and by his almighty power, determining them to that which is good and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ. Yet so as they come most freely, being made willing by his grace. What's it saying here? It's saying the Lord rules hearts. And so for us to be saved rather than destroyed like the Pharaoh, what we need is the Lord to rule our hearts, to break our hearts, to take away hearts of stone, to replace them with hearts of flesh. We need our minds enlightened, our wills renewed, our hearts replaced. How does that happen? Westminster Confession says it happens by God's word and his spirit. By his word, as we see these images and stories of God's power and love and mercy and justice, and on the other hand, as his spirit is at work within us to soften our hearts and make them receptive to his word, that is how we are renewed. In Exodus, we see an incomparable God exercising his power in just judgment on those who oppress and bind up his people. The last sign before the death of the firstborn son is darkness, palpable, feelable darkness over the land for three days. We don't know, is it a sandstorm, volcanic eruption, who knows what, but it's darkness for three days that people can feel over the whole land. And it's a warning that if they continue in this rebellious path, the firstborn sons of, is of Egypt will die. Now, where's the image of God's love and mercy? What do we see in the Gospels? We see another king who is unwaveringly committed to his purposes. But unlike the Pharaoh, he's not lifting himself up to the destruction of his people. Instead, he humbles himself and gives himself to provide life for his people. And at the cross, what do we see? palpable darkness across the land for three hours. 
And yet at the cross, God's judgment doesn't fall on Israel or on Rome. God's just judgment falls on his own firstborn son. That Christ bears the plagues of the Exodus, everything the Pharaoh deserves, everything we deserve, and gives up his own life and breathes his last breath so that we who are enemies with God can be reconciled to him. That's what it takes to melt our hearts. And when we see that kind of love, and when the Spirit's at work within us, urging you to reach out and take hold of that love that Christ shows to you, that's when your heart of stone is replaced by a heart of flesh. We see that kind of love that God the Father shows by sending his firstborn son to die for us and sending his spirit within us to prepare our hearts to repent, to respond rightly. So friends, this day, do not harden your heart before the word of God. Hear his warning. His judgment is just, his power is incomparable, but see his love and mercy, that he bore the judgment for you. Soften yourself, humble yourself before Christ our Lord. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, if we are honest with ourselves, each one of us is like a little Pharaoh. We exalt ourselves, we harden ourselves, we seek our own way to the detriment of others. And so what we need time and again is the work of your Holy Spirit within our hearts, softening us, leading us to joyous repentance, leading us to humble submission to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and King, who gave his own life that we might have life abundantly. Thank you that you bore the darkness and the death that we deserve, so that we might have life and light with you. By your Holy Spirit, even now, be at work in hearts, turning them once more to you. Amen.